back, guys. This is the Live Loud Life Podcast. My name is Dr. Antonio, your host of the Live Loud Life Podcast. And today we have our good friend, Mary Fink. Hello. Yep, yep. Uh, Talking about um, brain injuries and concussive rehab. So she's a physical therapist. I'm going to let her obviously spew her credentials, uh, her specialty, so on and so forth. But I think this is going to be an awesome episode. This is not anything that we we deal with here as far as a rehabilitative process. So I think it's going to be a lot of great information. And interestingly enough, which I don't know if you have any specific statistics on this, but how many just head injuries we get? I know for me playing sports, as right. we were talking about uh, before the podcast, uh, how many adolescents and kids actually suffer from brain injuries, brain injuries, concussions, so on and so forth. Uh, but we're going to dive into it. So welcome. Great. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Business. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I'm Mary Fink. I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I'm actually a certified brain injury specialist through the um, American the the American Brain Injury Association, uh, which pretty much meant you just had to do a lot of training and experience and hours to be able to like take a test and say that you provide specialty care to this population. So um, I originally got into treating brain injuries because my dad had a TBI, which is a traumatic brain injury, uh, from a rollover car accident when I was in high school. And it changed his personality and he had headaches. And we unfortunately lost our um, business in our home. So it was quite an impact. Yeah. So that's how I kind of got into this. And then I realized we started understanding what was going on with him and what happened and the loss that we suffer. Cause we call this like an invisible injury because you can't see that anything's wrong with you. It's yeah. just, uh, our brain controls everything about our body. So if it's injured, it can affect a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> so then I kind of, you know, went to college, played basketball, blew my knee out, got to do PT myself. And then at the round the same time started understanding what injuries my dad had sustained and that like PTs help people with brain injuries. So that was kind of when I went in that direction, like 2000, the 2006 to 2009. Um, so just kind of worked in all different settings and like rehab at Craig hospital, literally like helping people walk again and get out of like a vegetative state, more severe injuries. Um, and then the past seven or eight years I've been more in like outpatient and helping with people with like kids with concussions and car accidents and stuff like that. So. And, and what's your, cause I forget, I will forget to ask at the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, business name plug. Do, do, oh yeah. Do yeah. So, uh, my new business is roots physical therapy and wellness and we're in Louisville, Colorado and the websites roots PT and wellness com. So Colorado. Uh, so I'm really excited to get this up and running and help like more of the community and a diverse population. So, so first question I wanted to, uh, spin off of and plug, uh, or spin off of and come back to some of you had said is the silent injuries, right? So these are the big things. And obviously a rollover accident, uh, pretty clear to see, especially if someone has an abrasion or something on their head, right? right? Okay. You hit your head, you probably suffered from some sort of injury, right? Outside of those, uh, and obviously there's a range of, you know, severe versus to, um, acute, but yet small. What are some of the silent symptoms and things that you see, see or hear or know or evaluate or assess that you look for and that someone who is not as 
uh, versed at understanding those silent signs? What should people be looking sure, for? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, just to kind of give more of a broad answer, yeah, because yeah. this could be something you could look for in your children that might have like a concussion or a spouse that was in a car accident or someone fell off the ladder or whatever. Um, but I would say a lot of fatigue, headaches, blurry vision, dizziness, balance, like difficulty speaking or like memory issues. Um, we kind of subcategorize head injury into physical, emotional, and cognitive. Okay. Uh, and then there's like a huge energy reserve. And when your brain isn't functioning in all those areas, your energy reserve gets tapped. And then there's like extreme fatigue. Um, like acutely after a concussion, why someone would vomit is more of like a labyrinthine concussion, which is what I treat as a vestibular therapist mm. is your inner ear organ has all these really fancy hair follicles and uh, things that stimulate like your brain to know where your head is in space. So that just gets like super shook up and then people feel like they got off a roller coaster. So if you're vomiting like consistently after a concussion, you have a pretty substantial labyrinthine concussion. Um, but definitely it, it can be kind of minor. My daughter, unfortunately, has had like four um, and it, you know, affected her ability to read because it can affect like the eye movements, which is part of what I retrain, um, your ability to focus, uh, attention. So kids with like ADHD, many of them have had history of concussions and there's no correlation there. Um, and like overstimulation, like kids with like sensory processing issues, like just getting like hyperacusis or overstimulated. Uh, so, I mean, everything, if, if it's a very severe injury, it's going to like cause weakness or paralysis on one side of the body, or you wouldn't be able to like walk without a walker or, you know, like more severe and more visually obvious symptoms, but that's usually not the case. And most people in that situation got help quickly, which is part of the problem is that people do not get help because they don't know that there's something wrong. So, yeah. So there, I mean, that's hence the silent, yes. the silent thing, right? Yeah. Cause you're just going about your everyday life. What, um, uh, I'm just trying to think back to, cause I'm, I'm, I started going through the Rolodex of how many concussions I think I've probably had, uh, a number from micro and this is what the, the question I wanted to, to bring up is how do you see micro traumas, uh, come into play. So for instance, my, my sport I played was soccer, right? Headers, right? One right, after the right, other. Right. And you get some of those, they call it ring your bell, right? Where you kind of just hit it and you, you did, I didn't lose vomiting or anything substantial, but how do you see micro trauma or the micro dosing of these sub level mm -hmm. injuries add up? Or is it not as significant? Well, that's what CTE is or chronic traumatic encephalopathy is like these accumulative sub concussive blows and like football, soccer, fighting, whatever, hockey. Um, but it's not necessarily like reported incidents of concussions, but these repetitive sub concussive, like quick, quick stars. And then it got better, mm -hmm. um, that we're seeing usually in athletes, like within 10 years of stopping playing their sport, that then there's like headaches and anger and dysregulation of emotions and uh, memory issues. So that is something that is like more growing awareness of that there is like a pretty substantial problem here and it's causing people, you know, a lot of these guys end up, you know, physically abusive in jail or committing suicide, unfortunately. So on that note, because if you're dealing with 
cognitive issues, which obviously could fall into the category or should fall into the category of PT, but oftentimes people go to neuro right. or PCP, and then you're dealing with emotional things. So people go to a therapist Correct. Um, or, or, or something like that. What are some of the big tells outside of, yes, I played a sport or yes, I think I've had mm-hmm. trauma that would indicate that a post uh, sorry, a previous concussion might be the actual leading factor as opposed to an actual issue that could be handled with therapy. Right, Does right, that make right. sense? Like what are the things that you're trying to diagnose or look at or right. like say this is the reason why I think it's more so from the concussion? Yeah. I mean a lot of that kind of twofold answer would be diagnostics. So like making sure you get a brain image, there's no tumor or MS or something mm-hmm. else that can affect brain function. And like cause and effect, like mechanism of injury, like this is when things started changing in my life. Um, But sometimes it can be such an accumulation of concussion and like after one concussion, you're two times as likely to get another. And after a second, you're like eight times as likely to get a third. So like it just becomes like this terrible snowball effect. Uh Um, But statistically, it just grows and grows and grows. So um, some people don't know a second subconcussive blow if the first one didn't heal is going to result in additional or worsening or even new symptoms and like even more of a long recovery. So, and, and what are, so, and, and that was, so that was going to be the question, which I think you answered. So because the brain tissue has not adequately healed, that makes you more susceptible to the next, just like another, just like an sure. external injury we would see on the body. What does healing really look like outside of just outside of just time? What are some right. of the things um, that you're doing to help yeah. healing? What are some of the outside resources that you promote for healing, i.e. Right. nutrition or something? Right, like right, that? right. Uh, absolutely nutrition and like in any anti-inflammatory diet and there's certain supplements that are good um, trying to just get like a healthy like you got I always tell patients you got to put good gasoline in the car to drive the car, right? Um, so and then just identifying the areas of deficit because not we call this like a snowflake injury not one is the same mm-hmm. and each person is a different person so then add a injured brain um so trying to if there are like severe emotional issues was there is this a result of like abuse or a car accident do we need to do like trauma therapy so making sure people get like the right emotional therapy cognitive therapy is usually done by like either a speech therapist or occupational therapist um and that's more uh helping with like getting back to school and getting back to work and memory issues attention like i usually say more of the marbles uh, what I do is more the physical dimension of retraining vision, dizziness, balance, coordination, and then trying to get all of the systems working together. Because even though that brain lesion might be like a disconnected nerve, we know neuroplasticity has the ability to heal. So we just kind of find, I always tell my patients, like find a way around the traffic jam. Yeah, no, <laughs> so we're just trying to find a new way. And sometimes after enough time, you're just like, okay, this is how it is. How can you modify or change your life around that? So No, that's a good point. I mean, I use a very similar concept where it's just like multiple roads to Rome where sometimes you run into a roadblock. You have to just switch how you're doing something temporarily. Right. Hopefully we can get back on the main highway. Correct. Not always. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, So one thing I have heard, and I don't know any sorts of amounts or numbers, but um, using, um, obviously it goes within the anti-inflammatory conversation, um, like omegas Mm -hmm. and high fat diets, uh, not diets per se, 
sorry, adding higher fat content, good healthy fat. Right, correct. For this, yep. How does that come into play? Yeah, so there's a lot of research with like ketogenic diet and stuff like that with like brain recovery. The hardest thing for someone that is like truly injured is like there's so many elements about their life. Like sometimes I can't go to school, I can't go to work. And so adding like some like more complex diet is yeah. hard. So I usually just try to tell people like, you know, limit soda, limit sugar, try to eat foods that come from the earth and like try to make it more basic because it's just too hard to then also add a huge dietary change on top of like manage the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, just like a general in this population specifically, because you could get into like a lot of nitty gritty with that and (laughs) the research and everything, but just trying to keep people like generally eating healthier Yeah, which is so and drinking enough water too. So for sure, which is so funny to say, don't, drink soda and don't eat excessive amounts of sugar right right <laughs> just so easy to just do that yeah um, <laughs> but some people don't even know that's a problem I, and then you talk about inflammation and you talk about like limiting to less than 20 grams of sugar and a lot of people don't even know that the soda they're drinking has 76 grams of sugar so <laughs> it, it's just education so. so as a side note which uh nichelle always <laughs> my wife always kind of points out for people that are consuming or having trouble with sugar just to put in the content context how much a gram of sugar is so four grams of sugar is essentially like one sugar cube okay okay so when you're looking at the sugar content of anything you're eating divide that by four and that's how many sugar cubes you're consuming right so when you look at literally whether a bottle of soda and it's like 76 grams right just literally how many sugar cubes you are just drinking down and that's the and that's the that's the big killer for so many things is just liquid calories but like yeah. liquid sugar sure. just so much easier to consume and just yeah. guzzle down yeah um imaging so i came across i don't know if it's wavy or what yeah is it wavy yeah it's, yeah uh, so boulder based group i did a scan obviously i didn't have a post scan before right 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 uh, they said I passed with flying colors. I don't know what that meant per se. Yeah. But what are some of the scans people should be looking at getting? Obviously, right. outside of you mentioned the MRI, you know, looking at lesions, tumors, yeah. different major space occupying thing. But what are some of the other scans that provide you the good information of how cognitive brain function is actually right, performing? Right, right. Um, <laughs> there aren't really a lot, to be honest. Like, oh, there's yeah. your answer. I mean, a lot of the times people get in an accident or they have more severe head injury. They went to the emergency room. They'll do a CT to make sure there's no bleed. Um, then usually neurology or primary care, if there's more substantial red flags, which would be like severe loss of control, double vision, severe memory loss, like more significant symptoms would order um, an MRI to get more detail of the brain tissue. Uh, but these are like cellular level changes. So it's not showing up on a lot of imaging. So the wavy, I believe, is showing like EEG signaling. Um, But a lot of what I do is visual and vestibular. So there's something called a VNG, a video nystagogram. So we order that a lot to check like ocular tracking because your eyes are controlled by your cranial nerves and only that comes from your brain. So if there's dysfunction in the eye or there's a dysfunctional like eighth the eighth cranial nerve to the vestibular system is not working, then we can use those objectives to test for that. But a lot of the times we don't need the testing to like treat the patient. We just like treat the patient, not the image, but we're trying to rule out anything more severe going on, you know, because they're there. I have had patients like, well, they had this brain tumor they didn't know of because they got in a car accident and they got a brain MRI. 
um, never would have known that was there before because they were functioning pretty well, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, MS come up like a time or two. So it's just trying to rule out something else. Um, but even like with my dad, his imaging was all normal. And then three years later, the like diffuse axonal injury showed up on a new, on a scan. So, uh, that the biggest thing is just, just, it's not showing up. So are there any, are there any blood marker indicators? I know they're doing research for do, using that as an indicator in the emergency room, but I don't think that's mainstream okay. yet to my knowledge, but I don't know if there's any um, it, sort of like specific thing that would be leaching out that would indicate they're they're trying to test for emergency room like protein levels I think or something but I'm not sure because I don't work in that acute setting like what is standard usually most of the time these patients yeah. don't even have imaging done in the emergency room unless there's like significant symptoms so. that that makes sense um so I'm curious uh and I know you had mentioned kind of uh, piggybacking and going a little bit deeper into the therapies you provide, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously you had mentioned it's a multifactorial approach, right? You got to look at this, you got to look at this because there's so many elements and there's only so much you can do from one end, but you focus on the physical. Right. What does that retraining really look, look like, like yep. when you're, especially when you're dealing with eye movements right. on and so forth? I know you had mentioned previously like balance on and so right. forth. Right, yeah. But, um, and you depends get, on the patient. Yeah, so let's, well, let's, <laughs> let's use it. Um, let's, uh, I could give you like a pediatric, like a kid example and like an well, adult say, example or something. If you're okay with sharing, like how yeah. you've been treating your daughter. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind of like, what have you been doing for her? Cause obviously reading, if you're right, having right, trouble right. tracking with your eyes, yeah. that can make it yeah. more challenging. So, so my daughter's a perfect example of, um, like childhood concussions going unnoticed, especially because I was like, okay, I'm not going to blow this out of proportion because of what I do. Yeah. And I kind of just pushed her to go back. The research shows like this group of kids goes back to school. This group of kids sits in a quiet room in the dark and the group of kids that goes back to school gets better faster. Yeah. Like you use the brain to heal the brain. Still these days, people are getting advised like sit in a dark room. Yeah. And like, yes, for, for the first day or two of mental rest, yes, appropriate. But that is not like how you treat a brain injury these so, days. So when would be because uh, because that still is common suggestions. Correct. When and, and it's no different than like someone saying like rest like the rice protocol for an ankle injury. Correct. Right? Correct. It could be beneficial for the very acute. Right. When would somebody know that they are okay to get out of the dark room and start being reintegrated just, into? Just trying to do that and see how the body responds like and trying to add yeah like headaches or, okay, stuff okay. like that yeah so just trying to slowly add back life in for sure cool. um knowing that it's not going to just be like it was you know mo most concussions clear in like seven to ten days and then more post-concussives like two to four weeks so if we're going longer than to a month then you have more like substantial lingering gotcha symptoms but that's only 10 percent of the population like most concussions heal yeah but that's like the 10% of the population I treat. For sure, yeah. Uh, which I really think that that data might be different. It's just because it's not recognized. It's not a recognizable injury. Well, so. and, and the one thing we always say too is like when you're looking at statistics, right, and we're slightly biased because we work in specialty fields. Right. But for the patient, when you're looking at a statistic, you are that statistic, right? So it feels like it's 100% of Correct. it because it is you. That's right, that's right. And, that, and it sometimes feels a little bit more skewed because they're just like, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm one out of ten people. Yeah. Like this must be really bad. Which right, like, right, right. Yeah, to the on the spectrum right, higher. Right. But it doesn't also mean it's horrible. Per right, se. right. And 
Yes, and like trying to get people to identify with like who they are as a human being and not identify with like their injury or their brain injury or their back injury, but yep. like trying to make sure people don't now identify with this new diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, and that they put themselves and their human first is like super important, I think, in general. Um, but going back to like the uh, testing cool. and stuff, yeah. But, um, so she initially was climbing and she hit her head on a bar and like got really dizzy. And that, that lasted about a week of like a lot of dizzy and like, I couldn't take her in the grocery store cause all the visual stimulation, she was getting like super dizzy and, um, seemed to clear pretty well. And then only a few weeks later, my son who was, uh, I don't know, 15, 16 months, like through a glass vase that shattered on her head. It was about like a centimeter thick vase. Ooh. Luckily, she wasn't, like, cut, but that was, like, sunglasses on for days. Like, she slowly seemed to get better, and then she just tanked in school, and it was, like, her reading levels went down, and she couldn't focus because she said the kids it sounded like the kids were hammering her head because she couldn't focus on all the noises coming mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. um and her attention was worse so she actually wrote a book it's called my invisible injury a story of kid concussions oh was it uh yeah. it, it is not published okay. so if anybody's <laughs> a publisher i got a good book there's there's not another kid concussion book out there so mommy published it on shutterfly and sells like cash copies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've sold probably like 80 copies of this book, there but I go. just I just it's not like mainstream yet. Yeah. Um but her story was to tell other kids like that this is what happened and this is what a concussion's about. Um and this her last concussion, she then maybe a year later flipped out of the hammock and fell right on her head and she couldn't walk for two hours. So like that was substantial, like there was motor loss. Right. But then she kind of cleared. So, um, trying to retrain like the eye tracking and the convergence and the balance and trying to like recreate the pathways that are injured is just more part of like how, what I test. And then that kind of helps guide my treatment. But um, when people get more advanced, you're integrating balance with vision exercises and having them do cognitive things at the same time, like make a list of fruits and vegetables. Mm. That's like high level vestibular concussion therapy. Like yeah, yeah. you're getting back to normal at that yeah. point um, because the multitasking can pretty much tank. Like in the research, yeah. the multitasking gets really hard when you start doing more than two things with a head injury. So do you start to see changes? <clears throat> I'm also just thinking because your background uh, with CrossFit and everything else, um, or people start to see changes based on their metabolic, I guess, output changing. So right. for instance, if they get back to exercising and yes. start breathing harder, yes, yes, yes. how does that come into play? So that's like a huge piece because there's something called like the Buffalo concussion protocol, which is trying to like get hyperperfusion of oxygen to the brain through exercise for healing. And that's kind of the concept of like hyperbaric oxygen treatments mm -hmm. and like why people yeah. go to sea level and feel like a normal person again. There's just like more oxygen because we're at mile high here. Um, but yeah, like as soon as we can get exercise back in, like that is ideal because it will help the the brain like in, in an athlete is going to naturally just 
heal better because they already have such a high function of vestibular system and cardiac output and all of that. Um, But yeah, and so in this protocol, we measure like heart rate and symptom response and oxygen levels and like take them through like progressing, getting every minute a little bit harder. And then there's just like a threshold. We call that like your your submax threshold is when you got symptoms. So then we have people exercise at like 80 to 90% of that heart rate. That's awesome. Essentially. Yeah. So trying to get people back to exercise. Yes. Yeah. And on top of that, outside of maybe that, do you see, do you, do you give any specific breathing exercises to help facilitate that? Absolutely, Antonio. And and or, that was not, that was not a question we asked before, (laughs) but um, do you then help coach that through the metabolic efficiency as well like does that help if 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 they start that sub or that uh that threshold right right oftentimes that threshold at least when someone's clean clear it's it's almost your aerobic capacity threshold where you switch to more hyperventilation right right so if someone's starting to get symptoms assuming that that heart rate is at a sub threshold from their aerobic capacity cueing breathing so that they're more efficient allowing them to to maximize that heart rate. Absolutely. I mean, and part of how that pulls in so much is like, because when you have a trauma to the head, you're going to go into sympathetic, you have your sympathetic and your parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be sympathetically overdriven. And a lot of head trauma is a result of direct trauma, like an accident or something hit my head or so the body's like going to get stuck in that state. Yes. So trying to teach people, I I actually give breathing stickers out. So I have people put stickers like on their wall, on their phone, in their car. So they're like visually reminded to like do the in your nose for four, hold for a second out of your mouth um, for six, but, or whatever, however you teach your breathing. And it's like, (laughs) just, just breathe. Uh, like, but mindful breathing will calm and activate the parasympathetics to be able to because a lot of this is kind of a whole nother topic, but like postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS or dysautonomia is very common with concussion because like the brain heart regulation is off. So people get like heart palpitations, they get like, uh, they can't regulate temperature. So there's this huge like weird body response and people don't know what's happening or that that has anything to do with the concussion. So trying to like retrain the parasympathetics and exercise will help reset the parasympathetics. So that's really cool. um, It's pretty, pretty complicated topic of concussion, but um, yes, essentially like if you're breathing more mindfully throughout the day, you're going to have a better response like when you're trying to exercise for sure. But I think so important too because most people want to get back to some sort of physical activity and I could see that being a a very strong rate limiting factor because, you know, and and the fact that you integrate that in so uh, uh, very, very soon or something is is very good because we often see, right. It's just like, and it's the same. We talk about like, don't do anything for your low back until you feel like you're healed. But then that gap from when you actually feel better to what you want to be able to do is too great. And then you start just yo-yoing. Yeah. So I have a, I have a good example of that one. So I had a, a girl that she was, um, a, a veterinary surgeon was like traveling and a wild dog ran in front of her on her bike and she crashed and got a head injury. Well, she came for her hamstring injury, but she had her sunglasses on and she couldn't be in the waiting room. She couldn't fill out her paperwork. And so I was like, I think I can help you with your concussion too. And so 
this was like a very high level elite biker, but she was scared because of her PTSD on getting on a bike to get back on a bicycle. So she decided to take up running, but she wanted to run hundreds. (laughs) So, so what we did was like just slow integration. Like, and so she slowly added her miles. Like she slowly, she couldn't run in the dark because she got so dizzy and disoriented. So I had her like put a headlight on and just start walking around her neighborhood a few laps at night. So it's just like slowly, like that's an extreme example of getting to like a sport. I think she's done like seven or so hundreds at this point and she can like practice again. I don't think she does surgery, but she practices as a, as a vet again. Um, but it was just like, sometimes it's such a slow process trying to give people hope that like, um, not to give up because it can, it can be really rough. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but no, I think that's actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned like slow process, and, and obviously, when you're talking about brain injuries, the process is, I'm assuming, much slower than like other outside tissue healing, mm-hmm. just because their toleration for certain things is a lot different. But the way you describe it, realistically, I think is important for everybody is that that's, that's the rehab process for any. Sure. Correct. It's this stepping stone mentality. We're mm-hmm. building a pyramid. The pyramid, the foundation of the pyramid is all the boring shit that nobody likes to do, but it sets the foundation right. for everything else. Right. Everyone assumes, and whether it's a hundred mile racer elite type of thing as the tip of the pyramid for some people, for some of our patients, honestly, it's gardening. Like that's yeah. like the thing that they yeah. want to be able to spend their time and do. But yet, and th- what comes to mind is this patient who I have who is 77, suffered from back injury and everyone told her, well, don't do anything that hurts your back. So for six months, she hasn't done anything. Now she can't even get out of a chair. She can't even kneel down and watch yeah, the garden. I was right. like, like we have to go back to our foundation. Right, so the right. example you gave is beautiful because it's the same for anything else. Sure, sure. And it's all about managing what's tolerable, yep. understanding the threshold of symptoms, uh, and, and you laying out those, those, the symptoms that people should be mindful to think about is, right. is important for realizing what your mm-hmm. threshold mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I would say like the, another really important note is like the emotional effects because, just imagine like your brain not feeling right and your body not working and like the suicide rate and young kids with like multiple concussions, like there's absolutely a correlation. So like just encouraging parents to like be very mindful of what's happening with their kids and sports and like getting people the right help because it just comes to a point where people just feel like they don't know how to be in control anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. They just can't like be you know, have another day of headaches or be able to like, I can't focus or whatever it is. So. And and layering on top of that, right. The stress of already being dependent on the age, a student athlete. Yes. As you know, playing college. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This has been phenomenal. Yeah. Thanks. I learned a lot of great stuff uh, to look out for. Um, Any last little tips that you try to spread as far as like brain health and awareness that we can leave people. Yeah. Uh, how to check if your helmet fits right. Oh, there you go. Do you know this? I don't. Okay. So if you're putting on your kid's helmet and you put it on and you tighten the back, then you have to strap it enough to pass the shake shake test. So if you shake your head and the helmet's moving around, it's not going to be very proficient. But helmet's just going to prevent a skull fracture. You can still get concussed within a helmet. But if the helmet's just floating around all over the place, it's probably going to be a little less effective. Um, And then like finding a concussion provider 
just looking for people that have the experience because there's a lot of people getting into concussion care, which is great. Um, but if you don't know exactly how to treat this population, you actually can make people feel a lot worse. Yeah. So making sure people have like extensive training in this area. So um, obviously if people are local, you have that provider here in the Boulder County, Broomfield County, Weld County area. Sure, yeah. Uh, but if someone's not local, yeah. uh, do you do, oh, do you do telehealth? Yep. Is that? Yeah. Uh, telehealth, uh, within my licensed states. So I think I'm licensed in like five different states, but, um, you can always just reach out and I can help someone yes. find, so then there's like concussion, that, concussion, concussion compass is a good okay. foundation and they, yeah, then you can look for providers in that area. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Now I did have a question about the helmets real quick. Yeah. MIPS. Oh. beneficial you know helmets have so mips technology the part that attaches to your head and the actual shell can actually slide and move a little bit and it's supposed to help disperse energy is that even i mean I it, it depends it's really pro how you, fall. how you fall angle force yeah. the brain whose brain I, I but actually, i would say it's probably better than like not having that true, true. um <laughs> but yeah it's just like jello floating around in there and as soon as it shakes it it just it. yeah it yeah. just can get injured so um you just do the best you can do and gotta live life so yeah, yeah don't yeah. be don't be scared <laughs> yeah don't be scared just yeah because anything can happen at any time yeah, yeah. well thank you again this thank you fantastic. yeah um and we'll put again we'll put all the contact information so if you guys are local um where you can find uh mary here boulder county wealth county Broomfield cool. county so on and so forth uh but uh, i mean i just encourage you guys uh i have healed from my injuries took time off did the things um and i've been you know trying to be mindful is if certain things come up could it be a result of that mm -hmm. fortunately from my injuries i have not suffered from a lot of right. those major things right. uh, but there are so many people that are dealing with these silent injuries so mm -hmm. hopefully this provides you guys with a little bit more context a little bit more research uh provides you also with some encouragement that something actually could be and is going on. Because oftentimes, as you said, these silent things get swept under the rug. Yeah. We didn't see anything on this. We didn't see anything on this. Like, it must be in your head. Right. Well, it is. So what are we going to do about it? Right, right. So, yeah. uh, thank you. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. What's up?